The cosmic treadmill is really fun. Reggie and Chris are number one. I'm a big Blondie fan, so this is my favorite song. Oh yeah! Hello and welcome back to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, where we go back, back to, to the, the past and read a DC comic from their yesteryear of publishing. You can hear us every week on the Weird Science DC Comics.com podcast. And today we have a very spooky Halloween-themed comic, don't we, Chris? Absolutely. It's the scariest book I've read in a long time. <laughs> well, you've, been, <laughs> you've been reading some scary books all month, so that says yes. uh, that says a lot about it. It actually is not a Halloween comic, but there is a skull on the cover. There it's, is a skull. It's Plastic Man number one, The Game of Death. Uh, it's actually a four-story comic, but we're only reading the first one because this is a beast of a comic. So if you love it, uh, let us know. We'll try to do the other stories in the comic but maybe maybe not one of them one of them we won't do and if you want to know which one that is you can figure it out pretty quickly if you buy this on comiXology or you know pick it up somewhere uh yes. actually if you do pick up plastic man somewhere in physical form uh let us know because we want to go into business with you mm-hmm. uh this was released june 2nd 1943 cover dated january february 1944 cover price was 10 centavos published by quality mm-hmm. comics this later folded into national dc comics and we'll uh talk a little bit about that much later on cover story and art by jack cole so this is going to be easy right just one bio yeah just one guy and he had a very boring life oh yeah there's really not much to say (laughs) about him so we'll just we'll dive right into uh jack ralph cole he was born december 14th 1914 in newcastle pennsylvania died august 13th 1958 in crystal lake illinois uh, didn't have a long life, as you will come to f- find out why later on. His father, DeLace Cole, was a dry goods salesman who f- also performed in a variety of shows in the Newcastle area. He gave young Jack the idea that he could entertain people for a living. Uh, Jack was an inventive and creative boy. He built furniture and published his own newspaper called The Scoop, which got him in some trouble as he would mock Lampoon and gossip about his classmates. Uh, Jack saved up enough money to take the Landon School of Cartooning Correspondence course by saving up his school lunch money. To fool his parents, he hollowed out a book where he would sneak his real homemade lunch. This is a real Tom Sawyer type answer. I was going to say, he seems very Tom Sawyer. Kind of an idyllic childhood, it sounds like, so far. Now, in 1934, Jack would marry Dorothy Mahoney. They married out of town, and for a time, he kept their marriage a secret. The Coles would move to New York, and Jack became a shop employee of Harry A. Chesler, who was instrumental in a lot of early comics. He was a broker for, uh, you know, comics work, basically. Uh, He would work alongside guys like Charles Biro, Bob Wood, and Mort Meskin, among many other guys, uh, went through that shop over time. He left the Chesler shop in 1939 and began freelancing, worked for Hillman Publications, Novelty Publications, and MLJ, which is now Archie Comics. Uh, he wound up, along with several of his Chesler mates, at Your Guide Publications, which would become Lev Gleason Publications. Uh, he created The Claw, Silver Streak, and arguably the Golden Age uh, Daredevil, not the blind lawyer, but the two-tone one with the spiky belt and uh, spiky wrists. And I think he was also Australian. He had a boomerang. I think so, yeah. Um, Jack <laughs> Close Bin- enough. Jack, Jack Binder, I want to say, was a, I think Binder's good. Would actually draw the first Daredevil story, though. Um, it's funny I, I mentioned this. I heard that that Bill Everett had 
invented that daredevil, but I could be wrong. Uh, it's hard to say. It all went around probably in a loop back in uh, those shop yeah. days. Jack began working at Quality Comics in 1940, where he initially worked on humor features and on Midnight, a clear knockoff of Will Eisner's The Spirit. Some have you ever seen Midnight? I have not. It looks very, very much like the spirit. Is it like the spirit, but not quite as well executed? Pretty, it, would you say? Yeah, it's it's like the the one you find in the dollar store. Right, the it does, yeah. does good enough, you know. I bet a lot of this stuff actually is uh, in the public domain. So if uh, you do a search for it, you probably, you know, I'd say you definitely can find a couple of pages oh, of it. Yeah. But a lot of times we talk about these golden age books. I find out, I know you can get a lot of this Lev Gleason uh, the original Daredevil stuff is for free. The first the first yeah. issue is available for free. You can get a PDF and read all about Daredevil smacking the crap out of Hitler in about five or six stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, come to think of it, I even reviewed that on the website a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Anyway, some months later, quality quality publisher Everett Busy Arnold told Cole that he was launching a new anthology title called Police Comics. Cole handed in the first completed Plastic Man story for this issue, and he wrote, drew, and lettered it, a one-man show. Uh, Reed Crandall's Firebrand was, at the start, the headliner of Police Comics, but Plas proved to be the most popular feature and would take over the headlining role four issues later. Plastic Man would ultimately become the second-highest-selling quality superhero after Black Hawk in military comics. Uh, which is fun. I didn't know that Black Hawk was originally a quality comics until we did this uh, research yeah. thing, but there it is. Um, during World War II, many of his colleagues went to fight in the war. Unfortunately, Jack was labeled 4F and rejected from military service. Uh, the term 4F originated in the United States Civil War, and it was a disqualifier for military service based on not having the four front teeth in with which to tear open gunpowder packages. The definition is changed to someone medically unfit is essentially what it means, right? Yeah. Uh, but the descriptor still remains that you're 4F. So Plastic Man became its ongoing series in 1943, which would be this very book that we're about to go through right now. Uh, it was no longer possible at that point for Jack to do all the work on the series, so other writers would submit stories and even ape uh, Jack Cole's art style. Yeah, because like we said, this is this was a beast. I mean, this was what 54 pages. Yeah, it's it's Something like that? massive. You know, we're gonna do just yeah. the first story, and it's basically the length of a of a regular of comic. a regular comic. So this, yeah. you're not missing out <laughs> too much here. No, but before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the man himself, Plastic Man. Uh, like we said, his first appearance was Police Comics number one, August 1941. Uh, his real name is Eel O'Brien. He's a former criminal, now stretchy superhero. Uh, Jack Cole based Plastic Man's origin uh, in part on uh, Humphrey Bogart's character in a film called Brother Orchid from 1940. This is where Bogie played a reformed crook who hid in a monastery while the heat was on. Which is basically his origin. He goes to a Pretty much. Yeah, right there. Uh, now, this, uh, he was not the first stretchy superhero. Uh, that title goes to a timely-slash-Marvel character called Flexo the Rubber Man, and he appeared in Mystic Comics number 1, March 1940. Uh, this is a character that actually still shows up sometimes. I think he showed up... Uh, during the Marvel Zombies, and I think they did like a, a Mystic comic special. Yeah. Uh, usually seems like he gets mentioned whenever a creator wants to show off how knowledgeable they are about obscure characters. Exactly. But, uh, <laughs> Here's a crappy character that no one cares about. Uh, let me yes. drag it out to the spotlight. But by the time we're done with it, there'll be four podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> now, Plastic Man number one. Uh, on the cover, uh, atop the cover, it says a vital book, V-I-T-A-L. 
looks to us like the Vital Publishing may have been the parent company. Uh, Quality was just the comics division of Vital. Uh, we're guessing pop, uh, Plastic Man's popularity and the length of this book put it somewhat under uh, Vital's purview. Yeah, well, I mean, what I'm wondering is since it's obviously thicker than your average comic on the shelf, yes. and I'm not—I don't know if every issue was this thick. This might have just been a, an issue one, specially, you know, boosted one. But it might—they might have sold it alongside the pulps or closer to the pulps and, the, and the bigger magazines. Uh, who knows? Uh, it's just kind of a guess of mine. Yeah, they might have just—they might have put uh, all their uh, all their chickens behind this one or something. Yeah. Uh, now he stretches, he shrinks, he bends. This is a uh, prime Jack Cole scene. Plastic Man with his limbs stretched through the eye sockets and jaw of that giant skull we mentioned. Uh, <laughs> some limbs are snaking around the hoods, hoods like uh, tentacles. One of them is socking a high-flying one right in the kisser. The skull is on a small pedestal, with, uh, which is set within a lake of fire. Uh, the, scene, the scene actually doesn't appear in the book, but it probably will appear in your nightmares. This sort of appears, but not this exact scene. But I yeah. do want to warn everyone the following story will contain pointless cruelty to animals. Yes. Uh, this, the first story, and uh, the only one of the four we'll be doing this episode, is called The Game of Death. Uh, here's another expressive title page. Plastic Man and his sidekick, Woozy Winks, looking at a panel depicting Plastic Man punching and kicking, ho- kicking hoodlums while balanced atop some giant dice that have been thrown by a skeleton-faced demon ghost. I mean, I love the fact that they're looking at their own action. They're actually, yes. like, gazing on the comic with us, you know, like they're sort of taken out of it. And that skull-headed monster wizard throwing the dice looks just like something you would see airbrushed on the side of a custom van in 1978, just like a total, like, heavy metal, you know pseudo-psychedelic shot, but here it is all the way back in 43. Yeah, the other side is a uh, warlock standing in a lake of fire. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, down at the uh, super-secretive chance club, some illegal gambling is going down. And in the basement, a man lies murdered. We get a caption that says, Now, before we go any further, get a pencil and scan the crowd above, for the murderer is among them. Can you pick him or her out? We'll give you a hint. The guilty one is not this one. And the arrow points to a, a stout gentleman who uh, who's identified as Mr. King. It looks like he's just entering the scene. Yeah, he sort of has a Groucho Marx uh, haircut and mustache, yeah. but he's a lot chubbier. But he's plump, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Sharp now, who looks like he's trying to swallow the upper half of his face, is enthusiastic <laughs> to show off the unique casino. Now, instead of cockfighting, they bet on Siamese fish fighting, which is superior because the winner devours the loser. So cruel, but yet so earth-friendly. That's true. You know, I think in this day and age, this would probably people would appreciate that. Uh, hmm. There's also this is amazing. There's also a game where people blow darts at a flying canary, and whatever number it drops on dead is the winner. And Mr. Shaw goes, "You ought to hear the mob holler when it convulses from one number to another. It's terrific." Mr. King replies, "Ingenious indeed, but I still prefer roulette." Ha! Same old King. We've made a few changes in the game, but I think you'll—I I don't think you'll object. Cigarette. <laughs> so they've changed the roulette <laughs> table from using baby turtles to frogs. Is the change that they made? So I didn't you, know you ever used baby turtles. I didn't, I didn't know that was regulation. <laughs> I didn't realize that, you know. So whatever hole the frog hops into becomes the winner. And then to make things even more exciting, because that's you know not going to do it for you. All the odd numbers are electrified, and the even ones are not, and that adds to the fun for some reason. Yes. So, now, like you said, they used to use baby turtles. Yeah. (laughs) 
what did murdering baby turtles provide to the gambling experience that a regular regular marble didn't? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you were just spinning a baby turtle around, you know, as you would a ball. They probably every one of them died. And then why switch to frogs? Couldn't they just jump into any numbers? Hutch like that. This actually takes away the the regular chance of roulette. Now you're leaving it up to the whim of a of a dizzy frog. Yes. Uh, and then... Why just spin him around? He's gonna he's gonna just jump wherever the hell he wants to anyway. And then you're electrifying half the board, <laughs> which increases, you know, if he, if he jumps into an odd number, wouldn't, wouldn't he just jump out? Yeah. <laughs> That's, so you've effectively eliminated half the wheel right there, you know, just like. Pretty much. Uh, it, it, that, that one really struck me as probably the worst, <laughs> worst gambling enhancement, even worse than blowing a dart at a canary or whatever it was. So uh, yes. anyway, Mr. Mr. King does not share our compunctions about the frog roulette, and uh, <laughs> he's happy to he's happy to play. He pulls together quite a pile of chips. He wins so much that Mr. Sharp must have him cash out in his office. Mr. Mr. King says, $20,000. Imagine my winning all that. How well, How did I ever do it? Precisely what I was about to ask you. Uh, Mr. King reveals he had a magnet in his pocket all along, a frog attracting magnet. <laughs> this is great. It's like, it's like that's a lie. It's like, no, I, I fed it buckshot before yeah. earlier in the day. I mean, the magnet would work if it was a ball. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I mean, the whole thing is just so crazy. I don't. Uh, anyway. Yeah, he fed a, he fed the frog buckshot, which. I, I guess they only used the one frog. I thought it would die. You would think Eventually. so, I guess. Maybe they're maybe they able to keep it moist as it goes into its little number hutch. You know, they, uh... <laughs> the even numbers are all full of water. Right. That helps conduct the electricity. <laughs> now, now a, a guy drops in on Mr. King from a trap door in the ceiling, but bounces off King and back through the hole. I think Mr. King might not be who we think he is. Mm. I think he might be Plastic Man. <laughs> you know, he's got that magnet with which he uh, attracted the uh, the frog. Now he turns it on uh, on the thug in hopes uh, that he that he actually goes to the dentist and has uh, fillings in his teeth. Yeah, and, and, and it works. <laughs> yes, somehow. He actually, even I mean, fillings are usually I mean, in those days they would have definitely been silver. They're specifically sure. made of non magnetic material for just this reason. Otherwise, yes. you would just you would just lose them all the time every time you walk past a magnetic field. Yeah, you'd be, your face would be slammed into walls. <laughs> It'd be quite the scene. Anywho, meanwhile, Woozy Winks is outside trying to get into the chance club through the front door. There's a bouncer who's talking to him uh, through a large circular hole. Woozy goes, what do you mean I'm not I'm not allowed inside? This is a free country, ain't it? As a taxpayer, I demand... Scram! Woozy leans on the wall near the back of the house and falls into the club's basement, where he sees the corpse from the beginning of the story. Woozy assumes that he killed the guy by landing on him, and he runs out of the basement looking for Plastic Man. Club chance clears out. We got Woozy running through this place. Plas! 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 And then the uh, crowd there all murmuring, did he say police? What else? It's a raid. Let me out of here. Gangway. And then uh, Woozy ends up trampled and covered in footprints after the mass exodus. Now, Woozy, who's probably concussed, he, and, looks uh, <laughs> he might have a few missing teeth himself. Yeah, he, he says, uh, New Year's Eve at Times Square, how I love it! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Plastic Man shows up and he snaps Woozy back to reality. Woozy immediately confesses to killing the man in the club cellar. That's the end. 
Oh no, no, they they go to investigate, Too and the sir. body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they uh they go to investigate, and the body is gone. Woozy is stunned. This interlude has allowed Mister Sharp and his goons to escape, which uh, doesn't really seem to bother Plastic Man all that much. He, he doesn't he seem kind of nonchalant about it. Yeah, he's, he's like, like, no, well, eh, well, let's go back to the office. So they they return to the FBI, who are actually the employers of Plastic Man as a special agent, and I I guess Woozy, I think it is sort of a package deal. Yes, and he probably thought he was applying to be a female body inspector. Well, you know, those T-shirts they sell at the Jersey Shore. Spencer's Gifts, yeah. Yeah, they look, they look pretty official, so I could definitely, you know, I, did, I think I wanted to be that when I was 12 as well, but they weren't hiring. No. Uh, Woozy and Plastic Man enter their boss's office arguing over the murder. Have a heart, Plast. I swear he was dead. Why his body was icy cold. In the first place, if you had just killed him, the body'd be warm. If there was a body. A woozy accepts the blame for letting the Chance Club gang escape. Rearranges Plastic Man's face to look like the one of the dead body in the basement. Yeah, so you can, this is something I guess you can do. You just grab Plastic Man's arm and, and stretch it out against his will. He's just, uh, he's like a stretch armstrong? Yeah, basically. He's just like a, a malleable lump of clay. You can probably use him to transfer printed comics while you're at it. Too. Yes, get the uh, Sunday funnies on his back. It's also a recurring uh, joke in here that I'm probably not going to mention, but Woozy, but the, the Woozy's boss hates it when he calls him chief. So that Don't call me chief. That happens uh, routinely. So uh, that wasn't that wasn't invented in... Uh, actually, that might have been invented in Superman. Who the hell knows? In the George Reeves show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who knows? Uh, Plastic Man's face looks exactly like James Town, who, who was reported as missing by his mother that morning. Woozy goes, see? See? What's I tell you? Kick me, Wiz Woozy. Good and hard. <laughs> Plast realizes that James Town's killer was in the Chance Club, and they let him go free. But luckily, he has photos of nearly everyone at the club last night for some reason. I didn't. Did you see him snapping pictures? I don't remember. I did not. Uh, yeah. So he has them developed. He also sent. Only takes ten minutes back in the forties. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the FBI, so they just you know hop right to it, I guess. <laughs> he also sends Woozy and some agents down to the club to show them the crime scene, and Woozy calls the boss chief and pisses him off. Yes. Now, uh, Plastic Man heads to Mrs. Town's house to show her the photos from the Chance Club. Do you recognize anyone in these photos who might be associated with your son, Mrs. Town? That woman, his fiance. I warned him to stay away from her. She, she wrecked his life. Know where she lives? And what's her name? And uh, are you friendly with your son? Have you seen each other recently? I mean, you know, this is her fiance. <laughs> What kind yes. of mother were you to James growing up? You know, what I mean? you actually don't know shit about him. You know, don't know a thing. <laughs> she says, Vet Larue, 25 Park Lane. Oh, if anything's happened to my son, I'll never forgive her. And uh, Plastic Man heads right over, and the car speeds out the front gate just as he arrives. So Plastic Man grabs onto the bumper and lets the car drag him along like a, like a windsock. Yeah. <laughs> Plastic Man crawls over uh, the roof and to the front of the car, and he hangs his head over the windshield, and he accuses her of killing Jamestown. I'm shocked she didn't just, like, freak out and crash the minute he peeked his... I mean, if that happened to you while you were driving, you would, yeah. you would probably just, you know... Need to change my pants. That's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. You, know, you, you <laughs> would be terrified, and, and with good reason. Yeah, I mean, I, I freak out if there's a moth in the car with me. I couldn't imagine a face sticking down. <laughs> now, uh, a vet's about to reveal James's real killers, but a car drives by spraying gunfire. And this actually does make your vet veer off the road and crash into a tree. She's she's okay. She seems fine. And uh, she leaves the uh, wreck to find civilization. 
event comes uh, near a construction site where, curiously, a late-night construction is going on. Yeah, I mean, like, this is the... It's like one in the morning right now. What There's no on? noise ordinances in, uh, <laughs> no. in Plastic Town here. Uh, the sound of a riveter uh, freaks her out because she thinks it's the sound of the gunfire. And I think they use the same uh, sound effect. They do. Rat, tat, rat, 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 Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's Rosie. It's a lady riveter up there. Yep. Riveter says, Smatter, Miss Nylons. Riveting ain't good enough for you. <laughs> and, you know, this is that interesting contextual uh, reference here. You know, we had men drafted to fight in the war, and women, uh, they turned into uh, up, upwards of 65% of the workforce. Yeah, I mean, um, this is the year after we entered the war, too. So it's, sure. this is how rapid that change was. We're already seeing yes. it referenced in a comic book. Yes, this is very fresh. Um, now, a menacing shadow looms over Yvette, and she shrieks, but it's just some playboy in a checkered sports coat catcalling her from a convertible car. How is that less menacing? I mean, that's pretty bad, too. I don't know. You, you, won't, you won't get killed. You'll just get assaulted. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, uh, Yvette gets uh, snatched off the street by a guy in an alleyway, and she's hustled into a waiting car. Uh, a thug says, all right, Jody, headquarters. And now at headquarters, there's a guy in a white robe sitting on a throne surrounded by fire and uh, and embedded in the mouth of a giant skull, much like the one on the cover. Wait, what happened? (laughs) A guy sitting in a giant skull? What what happened to the thugs in the casino? This is uh... is the other side of the tracks. Yeah, really. This is is taking a crazy (laughs) turn right here. Yes. You wouldn't have have guessed this one in the pool. (laughs) That Tony says... There she is, old mystic one. And there's a guy who's uh, wearing like a clan robe here. He says, excellent. Leave with me and join the others in the arena. Now, this guy in the clan robe, he explains to Yvette that he's upset that she's left the secret society of blood worshippers behind. <laughs> and, and worse, convinced Jamestown, a charter member, to resign. Turns out the only way to leave the blood worshippers is by a violent death. Yes, our, our main man here continues... But before you uh, resign, I, I shall grant you the right of all new members to participate in the annual Game of Death. Come. This really seems like a bad way to increase membership. Yeah, I, I don't think that this is this isn't something you put on your uh, on the thing you you know you hammer into the exactly. telephone. Exactly. Yeah, you know you, know, you, gotta, you <laughs> pull got a like number off this. Drinks, socializing, possible death, possible <laughs> yes. violent death. Yeah. <laughs> yes, guitar tutor. Death. <laughs> uh, our man continues. Each contestant is given a whip, men against men, women against women, and the first to fall is sacrificed to the goddess of blood. And people start a whipping, boy. They are just whipping each other good. And Yvette, They're happy about it. Yeah, they're they, all into it. They look pretty, they look pretty excited. It's, it almost <laughs> seems like some of them have gotten some whip training, which I definitely should be uh, reviewed by the board. But I think so. uh, as you might have expected, Yvette is the first to fall. Congratulations, Miss LaRue. Clear the area and dress your wounds. All except you, Miss LaRue. The game of death is all only beginning. Which is a this game is worse than baseball. I know. It goes on and on. What kind of a game is this? You know, to be <laughs> start with the whips and then move on to, well, now it gets even crazier. Yvette is placed under a spotlight in an arena and a tiger is released to maul her. And somehow this is, I, I guess there's a theatrical aspect of this, but wouldn't it just be more expedient just to kill her? I mean, it's cost, this must cost a ton of money, you know what I mean? They got yeah, you lips, need like permits. The arena, yeah. they got a tiger. This is big government all over it, I'm telling you. You know what I mean? This yeah. is why we need to curtail the spending people. This is ridiculous. Well, they're probably not feeding the tiger or anything, though, so there's that's, that. That I guess that they are saving <laughs> on that, but, you know, just even the waste removal. Anyway, I'll, I'll, sure. 
we can talk about that another time. Uh, the tiger is released, and Yvette is revealed to be Plastic Man all along. Now, while Plastic Man wrestles the tiger, he explains his position. How such a barbaric cult ever took root is more than a sane mind can imagine. But I do know this. A creed of torture and death is doomed at its birth. Like a plague, it runs its short course, does its damage, and then kicks the bucket. The world is too small and life too short to tolerate any such murderous click as yours. When a guy has to live with a knife at his back, the time has come to trade the golden rule for the Marquis of Queensberry rules. See what I mean? And before I describe what the Marquis of Queensberry rules are, we got to keep in mind he's wrestling a tiger. The whole while time. He's, yeah. While he's giving this soliloquy here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Marquis of Queensberry rules are they're the generally accepted rules for boxing, uh, named for John Douglas, the ninth Marquis of Queen, Queensberry, who endorsed them, though they are, were written by a sportsman named John Graham Chambers. Yep, just like those English bastards to give the name of the guy that you know ratified it instead of the guy that wrote it the credit. It's but uh, the Earl of Sandwich. But through that whole through that whole uh, speech, Plastic Man was wrestling a tiger, and in the end, he ties the tiger's tail to his neck, thereby immobilizing him. <laughs> uh, right after that, a glass tube is dropped around Plas as thugs start to pour into the arena to kill him. Our main man goes, "Stop! I've just received word that the police are headed here." All of you go to 620 Main Street. I'll dispose of Plastic Man myself. And now, Mr. Plastic Man, you're at my mercy. And I love this. Plastic Man just raises the dome off his head and punches the guy in a clan robe in the face just by stretching his arms, standing sure. in place. It's so it's, It takes him <laughs> literally 10 seconds. Uh, yeah. he, he leaps up there, to, pulls off the hood to reveal it's Woozy Winks. What? Aw, oh, you never let me have any fun. How long have you been in that rig? And what was the bright idea in letting them get away? Don't get all heated up. If you if you weren't punch drunk from that tiger, you'd have realized the address I sent them to right across is right across the street from the FBI offices. Now, it'll be simple to have the boys go pick him up. Uh, Woozy actually identifies his white robe as a KKK evening gown. <laughs> we gotta wonder if the blood worshippers are a veiled reference to the clan. I mean, it, they would have been a poorly. I mean, I really, I, I meant this almost as like a small discussion. I don't think, I don't think so. They would have been a very poor <laughs> reference. Yes. But I mean, they, they got the clan robe. They got the stupid, you know, phony, you know, mystic baloney that the clan has. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what what Cole's position was on that. And I think, as you see from another story in here, that he wasn't against bigotry. But uh, no. I don't know. No, but he actually says, "I conked the leader. I, I conked the leader on his on the bean and slipped on his KKK evening gown." Yeah, that's what I, see what I mean. So it's like, <laughs> but but are they just saying it like we were calling it a clan robe? I don't know. It's it Maybe. seems it seems weird, and I don't. I wouldn't expect uh, things to get this politicized except against Germans and Japanese in during this time period. During this time, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, only Jack Hall <laughs> would know, and he cannot tell us. So. Uh, it, as Chris said, Woozy knocked out the real leader and sold their outfit while Plastic Man was fighting the tiger, and Plastic Man is proud of him. Turns mm-hmm. out the leader isn't a man. It's a non-man. Or or a woman. We call them women. I knew that. I think that's what we call them. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, it was actually Mrs. Town all along. Wow. Then she mm-hmm. condemned her own son to death. 
back at FBI headquarters, they've already gotten full confessions from all the cult members uh, who admit that the Chance Club was a front to recruit for the blood worshippers. They work fast, let me tell you. They, they don't mess around. <laughs> uh, the, the animal cruelty was a good test to gauge uh, people's tolerance to torture and death. As well as being very instructive in biology. Yes, buckshot. <laughs> and now we get a page of exposition, <laughs> which is not uncommon for uh, books no, of this vintage. It's what we call the old wrap-up. Yes. Uh, Jamestown was condemned to die by general vote. So basically, anybody you circled with that pencil on the front page, you were right. Mm-hmm. Everyone, in the blood cult, everyone in the blood cult was uh, guilty. Uh, the boss asked Plass about Yvette LaRue being found in an auto accident riddled with bullets. Plass says he was in that car when it crashed, and she revealed that she was there when James resigned from the blood worshippers right before she died. They lured him downstairs and knifed him to death and were about to kill Yvette when Woozy burst into the chance club, causing a stampede for the exits, and she escaped in the excitement. So they just killed him, but Mm -hmm. Woozy said the body was cold. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. And also, then, what was the whole point of her putting on that show of being scared by a riveter and that menacing figure from the convertible? Yeah, and, and why would she report her son missing if she was instrumental in killing him? Yeah, that that also doesn't – so there's some loose sentence here. Also, I got <laughs> a little to, bit of lapses of logic. I, yeah. I also want to point out, so Jamestown was condemned to die by general vote, but it was a vote. So really only the people that voted for his death would be complicit, right? I mean, we, sure. we, don't, we don't usually arraign people in a democratic sense, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, most of you committed the crime, so you all go to jail. You know, it doesn't really work that way. That, that hasn't worked since, like, sixth grade. Like no. You know, who, who wrote this on the wall? Oh, no one's going to say it? You're all in trouble. Exactly, yeah. That doesn't quite work when it comes down to manslaughter or first-degree murder. But anyway, maybe maybe things were different in those days. They were definitely, working on an amendment, yeah. Definitely different in, in the uh, Plastic Man <laughs> universe, yeah. <laughs> so Plastic Man made himself look like Yvette, obviously, and subjected himself to torture in order to find the inner sanctum of blood worshippers. Meanwhile— He might have dug it, though. Yeah, well, I mean, he is plastic, so he could handle yeah. it. But I, you know, I like, I love. On the other hand, Woozy found it because the address was printed on a business card he found at the Chance Club. I mean, it's much easier. And, and I mean, the word chance is right there, so exactly, <laughs> it's a hell of a chance. Yeah, just as a matter of fact, as I recall, it's actually isn't it like behind the Chance Club anyway? Anyway, so I think so. Uh, yeah. Uh, the bosses miffed that Woozy went on his own without alerting the FBI, and then Woozy calls him chief again. Again, uh, the boss kicks him out forcefully, and Plastic Man suggests they go to a movie. Woozy goes, maybe you're right. This whole gory case has my nerves frazzled. What's showing at the Strand? A swell picture. The bloody hand. No, no, I couldn't stand it. I tell you, if I ever hear or see the word blood again, I'll scream. And then Woozy, he unwittingly leans against a uh, poster for a Red Cross blood drive. And Plastic Man says, <laughs> well, you'd better start tuning up your vocal cords. And then we get our nice little caption ended up here. And so, dear Rita, no matter which person you selected as the killer at the beginning of the story, you were right, for they were all guilty. And this was the worst murder mystery written this year because it was very <laughs> stupid, but uh, still very enjoyable. And, you know, definitely you see that Jack Cole's art is kind of out there you know his it is, yeah. his mind is both uh dark and fun i guess would be a way to put it you know yes. uh i don't know they, they, there's a lot to say about it but uh we'll probably save that for talking about jack cole first we'll talk about the publication history of plastic man uh quality comics ran plastic man for 64 issues last issue was cover dated november 1956 
Now, quality closed shop in 56, partly due to the near collapse of the comics industry after the imposition of the comics code, and partly due to a long and costly legal battle with national publications, which became DC Comics over Captain Marvel's similarity to Superman. That's pretty uh, publicized. Quality lost that battle. Uh, DC, you know, I, I, I've always heard that, that DC, this, they folded them all in, but apparently DC actually purchased only some of their characters, a lot of them, yeah. but they left others on the table. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone else owns them, but they, they did purchase the characters specifically uh, during the Quality's liquidation, including Plastic Man and Captain Marvel. And a couple others I, I was surprised I didn't know were Uncle Sam, Human Bomb, Black Hawk we mentioned, Quicksilver, who would become Max Mercury, and a handful of others that you see usually kind of lurking around the JSA, uh, or you see them <laughs> during crisis time. But, uh, but they're, they're, they're in there, you know, they're, they're, they're used. Yeah, because they were uh, part of that convergence, Plastic Man and the Freedom Fighters. Right. That was pretty much all the quality characters. Which, I, you know, I, really, I didn't know that that was... Originally quality. I guess I never really thought about it, you know, like wh- where they those characters, they've been DC characters for so long to me, you know, especially Plastic Man, which I knew yeah. was, you know, folded in. But because yeah, uh, weren't they changed to like Earth? It, w- it was originally Earth uh, swastika because the w- during quality or at least, uh, you know, especially after here, I guess Hitler won World War Two. Yeah. Was uh, what they did with the quality books. And I think I think there was even a yeah, there was a quality chapter in the multiversity. Uh, that Grant Morrison did uh, a oh, year or two ago. No, no, what? Yeah, it's got like it's got like a Overman. I guess Superman landed in in Nazi Germany, and the cover is uh is Overman or whatever whatever they called Over-mention, it. Overmentioned, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and he was like arm wrestling Uncle Sam on the cover. That's right. That's right. You're, you're that was the one drawn by Jim Lee. Yeah. And that was that. Yeah, that's right. I had Hitler uh, on the on, on the, the can in the first yeah. page. Uh, that's true. I think that's Earth 19 now or something like that, right? Uh, okay. I don't know. I think I you might be right. I don't know if it really matters when you put a number to it. It's, it's one of the many yeah. Earths, but... Uh, yeah, because it was actually Earth X, because they put the swastika on the side. Uh, so it was it was originally Earth swastika, and then it turned to Earth X. They just knocked, they knocked off the feet. Yes. <laughs> they can't <laughs> dance anymore. <laughs> now, uh, the first DC publication of uh, Plastic Man is in the House of Mystery, number 160, uh, July 1966, written by Dave Wood and with art by uh, Jim Mooney. The cover advertises him as a new old hero. Uh, Plastic Man, Volume 2, ran for 20 issues. Uh, cover dated December 1966 to November 1967. Drawn by Gil Kane and written by our old pal Arnold Drake. Yeah, which I didn't know either until we looked into this. Yeah, I didn't either. Cool. Uh, we're going to jump ahead a few decades to the post-crisis. He was brought into the mainstream DC Universe, was featured in a miniseries written and uh, drawn by Phil Foglio. That was four issues, November of 88 to February of 89. Phil Foglio was doing these weird four-parters around this point. Oh, yeah. Because he, uh, he did an Angel and the Ape one. He did the Stanley and his monster. Uh, he was uh, he was picking some of the obscure ones. Out. Yeah, he was, looks like he was grabbing from the weird Silver Age, which bless he his was. heart for trying. Bless his heart Absolutely. for that. <laughs> And uh, he began a guest. Uh, uh, he, he began it. He began appearing as a guest star in a lot of DC books, including uh, there was a particular issue of Action Comics. I think Jimmy Olsen started turning into his Elastic Lad or Elastic Boy uh, oh, yeah. persona again, and Plastic Man was part of that, or he was at least present for. When it. I when I was a kid, this is this is a huge aside, but when I was a kid, I could swear I saw a house ad for a comic that was Elastic Elastic Lad, Elongated Man, and and Plastic Man on a team together and they were going to be called the rubber band. Wow. But I must have, I must have been imagining it because I've never seen it mentioned elsewhere. And it actually sounds like a very stupid idea. 
it, <laughs> it, it sounds, sounds like, like an idea shot. like a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old <laughs> might have. So I don't know, but I but it's always something that's lingered in there. Like I could swear I saw that. But anyway, <laughs> we're gonna jump ahead uh, about a decade. He was part of uh, Grant Morrison's JLA run in the late '90s, and uh, Frank Miller used him in The Dark Knight Strikes Again. And the less said about that is, uh, the better. Yeah, we'll, we'll go beyond that. So Plastic Man Volume 4 ran for 20 issues, plus an 80-page giant, which is very beloved. Uh, February 2004 to March 2006, all by Kyle, Kyle Baker. Mm-hmm. He also appeared in Wednesday Comics. I think Kyle Baker did those as well. Uh, New 52, he appeared in one panel of Justice League International. I think it was the very first issue, if not the second, written by Dan Jurgens and drawn by Aaron Lepresti. He's being considered for membership into the JLI, but he's turned down. And then, and this was a big internet kerfuffle, big, big thing for some reason, but during Forever Evil, a hood named Eel is liquefied during the events that I can't quite exactly, something, some toxic spill, something, he gets, yeah. li- he gets liquefied, and it definitely implies, and this was by Jeff Johns and David Finch, definitely implies Plastic Man's origin. But nothing ever comes of it. Nothing happens. Just, oh, yeah. As far as we know, a guy named Eel died that day. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, they did a lot of breadcrumbs in yeah. those early years of the New 52. Where it was, seemed like a lot, didn't know. It seemed like a lot came from Mr. Johns and didn't get uh, picked up. But that's uh, yes. maybe topic for another another podcast entirely. <laughs> uh, in the animated series, he made his small screen debut during a 1973 episode of Super Friends called Professor Goodfellow's GEEC, where he was voiced by the prolific... Uh, by these standards, Super Friends standards, Norman Alden, Ald, or Alden. Uh, oh, yeah. This this was pretty popular. This actually ran in reruns when I was a kid. He received his own series, the Plastic Man Comedy Adventure Show, which ran from 1979 to 1981. And he was voiced by Michael Bell, who still does voice work to this day. He's also the godfather of Steve Gutenberg. So next time you watch Police Academy, which, if you're me, is about once every other week, mm-hmm. uh, just know that the man from Police Academy... From Police Comics is Guts Godfather, <laughs> uh, or the Goot, as we like to call the him. Goot. So uh, he also showed up in Justice League, Justice League Unlimited and Batman the Brave and the Bold series quite a couple times in the second one. Uh, but really now, who didn't? Everyone. Every DC character was in that at some point or another. Um, and he also appeared on the cover of The New Yorker for the April 9th, 19th, 1999 issue. Uh, the image was painted by Art Spiegelman, who would have been the art director, as we know now, at The New Yorker, mm-hmm. and who also contributed an essay about Jack Cole for the issue. Yeah, it seems like uh, Mr. Spiegelman is the, he's almost the archivist for yeah. uh, for Jack Cole here. And, Absolutely, uh, yeah. A lot of the information we found about his life uh, came from him. Um, speaking of his life, let's continue it. The uh, Coles would move to Connecticut and then to Massachusetts. Jack became withdrawn and lost his trademark sense of humor. He would rarely visit quality offices, and he would instead he would instead simply mail his work in, which was now just the pencils and writing. He had others do the inks uh, and lettering. Uh, Gil Fox, one of his co-workers, was quoted as saying, That's Jack. When he wants to be by himself, he wants to be way by himself. So I guess he was becoming more uh, notorious for disappearing acts or yeah. just being less sociable. Uh, Plastic Man, as we said, was canceled in 56 after struggling with sales for several years and relying on reprinting uh, Cole's earlier stories to stay afloat. Cole would leave quality comics in the mid-50s under somewhat mysterious circumstances, and not mysterious as in nefarious or controversial, just no one seems yeah. to know why he left. No one can agree on it. He almost just walked away, as far as I as far as far I heard it. Like, yeah. yeah, he just he left. Gave his notice, or just not even, just walked away. Like, goodbye. Yeah. 
And uh, he would, uh, ironically, he would visit D.C. looking for work, and he was turned away. Um, he worked on staff for uh, Charlton Comics for three whole weeks before leaving due to their notoriously low pay. Yeah, I can't blame him there, although he would have been right there living in Massachusetts now. In mm-hmm. 1955, New England experienced catastrophic flooding, which we both think must be the same flood that affected Charlton Comics in the same year. Uh, it actually had a name that I can't remember now, but it was a huge hurricane, a huge uh, deluge, and it, it devastated uh, New England. Uh, this caused the Calls home to be ruined, along with all their belongings, including home movies, Jacket filmed throughout the years on his video camera. So there goes his whole past, you know. Yes. Jack wound up joining Playboy magazine as a cartoonist under using the pen name Jake, and at the assistance of Hugh Hefner, moved to his house to Chicago, or he moved the, his wife and himself to Chicago. He would submit both black and white illustrations and painted cartoons to the magazine. You see his stuff in Playboy? It's, it's some really great stuff. I have, and I, sh- I, sh- I should check it out. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, by this time, he would have been real well-suited to this kind of work. So Absolutely. It, it would have been uh, perfection. Oh, no, there's some in that book, right, in the uh, Jack Cole, Art Spiegelman book? I think so. Yeah, I yeah, think so. I think I maybe took a, took a look at some of it. Uh, in 1958, Cole approached the Chicago Sun-Times about starting a newspaper strip, which led to his four-panel humor strip, Betsy and Me, which I have seen and isn't that funny for a humor no. strip. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, this would feature a far different art style from those would expect from Cole and the stories, if we can call them that. We're based on a verbal back and forth between he and his wife. Yeah, it's very, uh, very sparsely lined. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's very dulled down from uh, what we would expect. Now, on August 13th, 1958, the day after attending a large Playboy party and an apparent argument with his wife, uh, Jack Cole committed suicide by shooting himself in the head with a 22 caliber single-shot Marlin rifle while pulled off on a gravel road near Crystal Lake, Illinois. He would write three suicide notes, one laid beside his body for whoever found him, uh, one was mailed to his wife, and the third was mailed to Hugh Hefner. The uh, note beside his body asked the uh, reader to notify Cole's wife. It also asked them to make sure that they uh, knocked on a neighbor's door first so she would have someone to console her. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, the note ended with, please forgive me, hun. Uh, the note to Hefner was written to absolve him of any blame, which is fairly cryptic. Um, I guess maybe he didn't want him to feel like he was responsible for pulling him away from his home, even yeah. though he didn't seem too close with the family. Um, now, of Hefner, in the note, he said, he called him the best guy I ever worked for in all these years. And he also included a line that says, I cannot go on living with myself and hurting those dear to me. When this line fed a whole lot of speculation about a potential extramarital affair. The Coles had no children, so people latched onto the quote-unquote those dear as meaning that there were other people yeah, involved. a mistress or perhaps a bow or some bow or something like yes, that. Yes, perhaps. Now, uh, in Art Spiegelman's book, it's called uh, Jack Cole and Plastic Man, Forms Stretched to Their Limits. He suggests that Cole's problem was impotence. Um, I don't know if we have anything to substantiate that, but worth mentioning because Spiegelman did. Yeah. Um, now, drug abuse was a theme in a lot of Cole's work. However, no observer has suggested that this was drug-related. Um, I, I don't think you can prove or disprove that at this no, point. But, but, I mean, uh, but, you know, th- th- that could be something that would hurt those dear to you. You know what I mean? Like, sure. it's, it, could, it's It could be almost anything, you know, when you really think yeah. about it. It's very, very uh, nebulous. And uh, another piece of conjecture is that the argument they had the night before was due to him finding out that his wife had an affair on him 
due to his lack of time or attention to her. Uh, he was taking on work from Playboy and the newspaper, so he was a pretty busy dude. Mm. Um, there's nothing to confirm this, of course, but it is usually bandied about when the subject arises, uh, perhaps due to the quickness in which his widow remarried. Um, the suicide note sent to Dorothy Cole, nobody knows what that says. Uh, Hugh Hefner was quoted as saying, Dorothy had a note that she wouldn't give the police. Wow. Uh, yeah, she wouldn't share the contents with anybody, not Jack's family. I guess Jack might have been close with his brother Dick because it was mentioned that he that she didn't share it with him in particular. Hmm. Uh, she remarried fairly quickly, about a year later, and she moved away from the area and broke contact with all of Jack's family and uh, never spoke to Hugh Hefner again. Wow. I mean, this is yeah. really a comics mystery, you know? Like It is. And if we had just to know what's what's in that note, you know, it definitely tickles my salacious... Yes. Uh, you know, National it's, Enquirer type senses, but uh, absolutely, there is a bit of a yeah. There is one of the, some of that uh, some of that black curiosity, you know. Definitely, uh, but I can't I can't deny I would you know if that those contents got released I would read them. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, a life cut too short and a kind of a wild ending for someone that made such a crazy you know character that we associate so much with fun and with fun and humor whimsy and these happiness. days. Yeah. And, uh, that's not where he was at. But you know, uh, that's where we're at. And if you would like to write to us and join in on the fun that is the uh, cosmic treadmill, you can write to us at our direct email. That's weirdcomicshistory at gmail dot com. We're still taking suggestions and uh, there is going to be a format change coming soon that's going to blow your ever-loving mind so oh yeah uh feel free to expand those suggestions or if you just want to talk comics or whatever if you want to me uh follow me on twitter i'm at reggie reggie i'm at ace comics and uh, we both do contribute reviews and other articles to weirdsciencedccomics.com and chris has a personal blog called chris is an infinite earth dot blogspot.com that uh, you update every single day with a DC Comics review, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you got? You got yeah. Batman is a vampire today again or something? Yeah, like there's a, a three-parter from the uh, 1982, a Jerry Conway story, uh, where Batman, he, is, he becomes a vampire and he actually feeds off a human being, which uh, surprised the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's... When you know when in Rome, that's what they say. That's what you do. But uh, yeah, it's funny because you know we've been talking about these last few weeks. It almost seems like you, all you do is review horror-themed comics. But that's just for yes. this month, folks. Just uh, this month. He, he's he's going back to his <laughs> usual thing in just a few days. That's a Not soon day. enough. <laughs> so yeah, definitely go check it out. Always very well written, very funny. I haven't been retweeting them because I have been too busy to see them. But go check them out uh, and enjoy that blog. Um, I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. You got anything else? I think I think we are good. Well, then I'd like everyone to please keep it on the treadmill elastically. See, he's a real good guy in a bright red suit, and he always wears goggles and a belt that's a beaut. He was a crook, but he reformed and then he reformed and reformed and reformed again. Plastic man. Fantastic. 